Preach the word. First, I've got to tell you the rest of the story. You remember that guy? Who, who was that? Who was it? Oh, yeah, Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey used to say, and that's the rest of the story. So three things got mentioned this morning, and I can tell you the rest of the story. First one, somebody mentioned Jimmy, and in case you didn't know, Jimmy Sportsman uh, has a job now at uh, Kerrville, Texas. Thank you, Kerrville, at the Kerrville Church of Christ. And today was his first day to start preaching this morning, so that's the rest of that story, at least for now. And I'm thankful for that, and I just uh, love Jimmy. He's one of my best friends and had a huge impact on our community, our church, and my life, and want to be praying for him and excited for him. I could hear the excitement and creativity and joy in his voice as he was getting ready for this. Uh, also, uh, let's see, Jeremy mentioned something about the Dallas Cowboys, you know, giving me, ribbing me a little bit. Got to mention the rest of the story on that real quick. And, uh, and, and that is uh, that Jeremy's children are uh, fans, they're football fans, and they happen to like the, you know who? Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes, thank you very much. That's Ariel and, and uh, Luke. Thank you, Ariel and Luke, for the rest of the story there. And then the third one is the rest of the story, and that's about James. And, uh, and first of all, uh, James, I, I'm being serious now about this. I appreciate your tears. Thank you. I mean, that's, his tears are for two reasons. One is because his relationship with the Lord. That's real. This guy's authentic, and he, that's real in his heart. There's another reason for the tears, and that's because when he hits a golf ball, he really doesn't have to see that far, okay? And that's the other reason. That's the rest of that story. So, all right, we got the rest of the story out of the way, and uh, we're going to preach the Word this morning. <laughs> all right. We're starting a new series. Let me ask you a question before we start, and that is, how many of you have either seen the movie or read the book, uh, Les Mis Rob? Uh, in Oklahoma, we call it Less Miserables, but I think the real way to say it is Les Mis Rob. How many of you, raise your hand if you've seen it or know the story. Okay, some of you do. There's a lot of you that don't. I'm gonna, I'm, I usually don't do this. I usually don't endorse a movie or a book, but I would strongly recommend that you watch one of the forms of that movie, it's been remade, and recently it's in the theaters as a musical. And one way or the other, I would very strongly encourage you to watch that movie or read that book by uh, Hugo, what's his face? I can't remember. Anyways, uh, but yeah, I would strongly encourage you to do that. It's a great story. Basically, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about it. It's a story about a man who was hungry. This has been France back in the 1700s. He was hungry, and he stole some bread. And that one decision changed his whole life. He went to prison, and, and still later, after he got out of prison, he was still a man who was a criminal. And the act of one man who was a follower of Christ, who was generous to that, that man, his name is Chappelle, uh, changed his whole life again for the good. Redemption. It's a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful story. And we're going to be looking at another story in the Bible of redemption. We're going to be looking at the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. And to start that this morning, I'm going to pray. And then we're going to enjoy a video of the reading of Ruth chapter 1. So after I pray, sit back and enjoy the beginning of this story of redemption. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the bread that we can eat today. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would teach us, help us to understand this word redemption, help us to understand that you're a God 
who can turn anything around. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty.
Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Out of all 66 books in the Bible, only two bear the name of women. One of them is the book of Esther. The book of Esther, which is the story of a Jewish girl who married a foreign king, and then she saved her people. You guys remember that story of Esther? And then this story of Ruth. And Ruth is a story about a foreign woman who marries a Jewish man and becomes the great-grandmother of a king and the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of the king of kings who did the work to save all people. It's a great story. It's one of my favorite stories in uh, the Bible. It's a story that has a lot of the themes that all of us experience in our life, throughout our life. Stories of loss and loyalty and sacrifice. Themes in our life of despair and love and risk. And ultimately, it is the story of redemption. It's the story of redemption. That's going to be our theme for this study. Redeemer. And that's because God can turn anything around. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you believe God could turn anything around. Or if you think, well, He can turn a lot around, but maybe not this. I want to encourage you over the next four weeks to read the book of Ruth with me. I'm inviting you to do this. I'm giving you a challenge. At your house, at home, by yourself, or with your family, every week, read through the book of Ruth. Four chapters take you maybe 15 or 20 minutes to do once a week for four weeks. Read through the book of Ruth and ask God to speak to you through this little short book. Ask Him to speak about the story of ordinary people because that's what this is. It's a story of ordinary people with ordinary things that happen in their life. And ask Him to talk and speak to you about the story of your life Ask Him to speak to you that in the midst of ordinary, just regular, everyday events, help him to, ask Him to help you see that He is the extraordinary God who is working behind the scenes, working in our story of our life, working for our good and working for the good of the kingdom of God. I challenge you to do that with me over the next four weeks. It's good to read the Old Testament. Paul says it is. He says this over in, uh, in Romans 15. He says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And that's what this is a story of. Ruth is a story of hope. And just like most stories of hope, they begin with hopelessness. And it's no different in this story. Chapter 1 is a hopeless book, a hopeless chapter. And it starts with a man named Elimelech. Elimelech, he's the husband of Naomi. 
And it says they moved to Moab. And we just maybe hear that like, oh, they moved to Lubbock or they moved to Las Cruces. But no, 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 no. You've got to get Moab here or it doesn't make much sense to you. It doesn't say this in the text, but I can imagine maybe one night Naomi wakes up and she sees her husband Elimelech sitting up in bed and she says, what's wrong, honey? Oh, nothing really, sweetie. I just, I don't know, I've just been thinking we need to change. You know, things aren't so great right now here and I, I've just been thinking maybe we ought to move. Really? Move? Move where? Well, I was thinking Moab. Moab? Let me give you a quick few reminders about Moab. First of all, the Moabites are descendants of a man named Lot. I'm not going to go through that story because it's kind of gross, all right? But I'll encourage you, if you want to go back to Genesis 19, you can read that perverted story, really, about Lot and his two daughters, and you'll find out where did the Moabites start from, from Lot. According to Deuteronomy, this is what the law says. It's not only about their start, but it's also about the history, okay, the history between the Israelites and the Moabites. Israel was leaving Egypt, and they're going to go up to the Promised Land, and they just need to go across Moab, and the Moabites said, uh-uh, you're not coming across our land. You're not going on this road. You're not coming through our fence. Nope, you go around. And then a little later, one of the kings of Moab called a guy named Balaam and said, come and curse the Israelites for me, and he tried to, but he couldn't. Those are a couple of stories, and this is what the law says. Deuteronomy 23, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. They're not even allowed in to worship God. The Moabites can't even come into church, even down to the 10th generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread or water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And then they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor in Aram, Neharam, I don't know if I'm saying that right, to pronounce a curse on you. However, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but turn the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. Do not seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Wow. Don't let them into church. Don't be friends with them. you got the start of their, their, who, Moab, who the Moabites are. you got the history with Israel. They're among the five most hated enemies of Israel. And part of the reason they're enemies is not just their past, it's also because of what they're doing in the present. It's the God that they worship, a God called Kamash. Kamash means destroyer. Destroyer. And I love in the Old Testament, this is one of my favorite things, as you read the Old Testament, you kind of do a little bit of research. I, one of the things I love is that oftentimes when Kamash is mentioned, the writers say, Jehovah God has destroyed Kamash. They use the word destroyed. Jehovah God has destroyed the destroyer. You got a destroyer? We got a better destroyer because he's the real God and that's a fake God. Kamash as you can see, hopefully in this slide, fire, his hands over the fire. And what are they doing? They're bringing child sacrifices. This is how the Moabites worshipped. These are the people God warned His people. Don't intermarry with them. They'll pull you away to other gods. And Solomon should have listened. And that's a whole, that's a whole lesson for another time. But keep all this in mind as you read about this move to Moab. It's not like moving to Lubbock or Las Cruces. It's a horrible move. It's a move to a bad place. And where are they moving from? They're leaving Bethlehem. Anybody know what Bethlehem means? House of what? Bread. 
house of bread. We're going to leave the house of bread. We're going to leave God's house and we're going to move to Moab? Are you kidding me? Really? And yet, I have to say this on the other side, that they had some reasons probably for the setting that I can understand. I might have even agreed with them perhaps if I had lived during that time. Let me just give you four quick reasons they might have moved. The first one is just social reasons. The beginning of the book says, in the days when the judges ruled. If you haven't read the book of Judges lately, go back and read Judges. You know what it is? It's horrible. It's a horrible time. And awful things happen over and over and over and over. It's a terrible time to live. It was not a good social time to live in Israel. As a matter of fact, the last verse of Judges says, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. Everybody just did anything they wanted. And maybe Elimelech and Naomi said there's got to be a better place to raise a family than here. There had to be some economic reasons because the text says there's a famine. Even in the house of bread, sometimes there's a famine. Sometimes we're not just filled up as much as we want to be. Verse 2 tells us also that there's probably some family reasons. It's kind of hidden in a little word there. It says they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. Well, what in the world is an Ephrathite? That sounds like something you've got to call and you know, call like the, the bug exterminator. So I got Ephrathites, you know, come on, get over here and spray, please. All right. Ephrathites from Bethlehem. What does that mean? Well, Ephrathah was the original name of Bethlehem, the old ancient name of the city before it changed to Bethlehem. And to say you were an Ephrathite means that you were an old timer. You've been here a long time, old family, old money, socially prominent people. And it's a good guess, although the text doesn't tell us, that Elimelech very well may have been a prominent citizen at one time, but he perhaps has tumbled down the social ladder. And that can sometimes cause us to think, I need a change. I'm embarrassed. We've got to leave. And then just some practical reasons. If you get a map and you just go look and you see where is, where is Bethlehem and where is Moab, they are very close to one another just across the Jordan River. It's really walking distance is what it is. And it was good water. It was fertile. And I would imagine on a good, clear day that Elimelech could look from Mount Nebo and he could see the lush fields over there in the east, over at Moab. And you know, that's maybe where the saying comes from. The grass is greener over there in Moab. looks pretty good in Moab. And I have to ask myself, what would I have done? Those are some pretty good reasons. I might have agreed. He was trying to get some relief from some things going on in his family, and his society, and he spelled relief M-O-A-B, Moab. And you know, it wasn't maybe even intentions to go and, and be there forever. It says actually in verse 1, they went for just a while. You ever done that? Well, I'm just going to go do this for a little while. But you see the progression of the text? In verse 2, you know what it says? They settled there. They lived there. And verse 4 says they had been there 10 years. How in the world did that happen? When you only meant to go for a little while and a decade all of a sudden has gone by. How can a decade just... How can that happen? Pretty easy. I go home and think, I'm just going to sit down and watch TV for about 15 minutes and, and I wake myself up snoring three hours later. You know, I'm like, how did that happen? It's easy. You just settle in for a little while and next thing you know, your daughter's driving. That's what happened to me. I go, how did a decade and a half just like that? Easy. And next thing you know, 
Your kids are gone. They've left home. And next thing you know, your, your kids are married to Moabites. That's what happened to them. I, I'm not calling all of your in-laws Moabites, by the way. Or maybe you're a little bit like Naomi. Maybe you wake up one day and you're alone. Because that's what the text says that happened. Her husband died. So did her sons. One commentator says the first five verses of the book of Ruth stack tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy in rapid succession. And think about that. Famine and relocation and refugees and death of a husband and a father and death of two sons and now Naomi is alone. Well, she's not really alone. There's Orpah and Ruth for whatever that's worth. They don't have any children either. What do you think that trio of ladies look like? Maybe a little bit like this right here. That's a pretty good looking hopeless picture right there. What describes these three ladies standing in a cemetery? I think there's one word that describes them really well. It's the word without. Without husbands, without children, without family, without income, without hope without a future. And I'm going to tell you, today, that's just where we're going to leave them. We're going to leave them right there today. In this story of hope, in this story about a God who's a Redeemer, who can turn anything around, we're just going to stop and we're going to let that picture soak in before we move on next week. But before we finish today, I want to just ask you, what about us? What about you? What about me? Have you ever heard the whispers of Elimelech? Are you hearing them today? I need a change. I've been thinking maybe we should move. And I don't just mean move physically. I mean move to Moab. Maybe it's just an itch, a feeling, an urge. You can't quite really describe it, but I just want something different. I want something more. I want something else. I... Well, what? What is it you want? I don't know. But I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. Something's missing inside of me. Maybe you're like Elimelech and you feel those hunger pains. Probably not physically because most of us in America don't. But in America, probably those hunger pains might be something a little bit more like restlessness or boredom. This is what Augustine said. Almighty God, You have made us for Yourself. And our hearts are restless till they find their rest in You. Restless. And no matter what we try to fill up with, no matter where we try to go, no matter what we try to get that itch or that urge scratched with, it's not going to work. It's not going to work until we rest in God. So if you're hungry today for something you can't quite describe, I promise you the grass is always going to look greener in Moab. I promise that. And usually, you know what? Moab won't be very far. And it'll be pretty easy to get there and there probably won't be anybody guarding it saying you can't come here. Now, I do believe this. I believe the Holy Spirit will warn us. I believe the Holy Spirit warns me every time I head toward any Moab. Whoa, John, whoa, hey, ho, and all kind of little things pop up and it's like, no, you don't want to go this way. Danger. You're going the way it's bad. Stop. But then I get the choice, don't I? to listen to the Holy Spirit or not. 
And I'll tell you this, if you've got a taste for something else besides the bread of the Lord, if you're determined that you're going to go there, whatever your Moab is, I want you to understand something crystal clear. God will let you go. God will let you go. He will not hold you hostage in Bethlehem. He gives you the choice. But remember this, if you go to Moab, you are looking for life in all the wrong places. All the wrong places. You might be interested to hear that the first five verses of this book are the only section where the name of God is not mentioned. You think that's a coincidence? That God's name is absent? I don't. I think it's God trying to get our attention this morning because He didn't have their attention very well. You might be interested to know that the, the name Elimelech means God is my king. That's a nice name. That's a pretty name. He didn't quite live up to his name, did he? The word Christian, the name Christian, it's a nice name. It's a pretty name. It means I follow Christ. And it begs the question, are we living up to our name? I just want to say to Elimelech, did you ever ask God if you should go? Did you ever build an altar and worship? Naomi, did you ever encourage your husband to seek God's advice? And today I have to say and ask us, if you are dry today, if you are hungry and restless, I have to ask, are you seeking God's help? Are you praying for His direction? Are you today filling up on God's Word? Because our choice really boils down to when we're feeling dry and empty and restless, do we listen to the words or the whispers of Elimelech? Or do we listen to the words of Paul when he said, find out what pleases the Lord? Do we listen to the words of James? If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, and God gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Are we asking God for wisdom? Are we asking God, what do you want in my life in this restless time, in this time of hunger, in this time when I can't describe what it is that's going on? Now there's some good news today. There's some good news today. And this is it. If you've gone the way of Elimelech, God is working behind the scenes. And that's the story of the book of Ruth. That God, we're going to see it in crystal clear, high definition that God is working behind the scenes in every single chapter, in every single part of this story that we're going to read. We're going to find out that God can turn any dead end into a doorway. God can turn any despair in your life. He can turn it into delight, whether you believe it or not. God can turn anything around. That is the message of the book of Ruth. And if you've been living in the land of the enemy, if you've been living over there in Moab, I want you to understand this. God stands waiting for you to come home. Waiting for you to come home. He stands. Well, where does He stand, John? Where does He stand? One theologian said it this way. If you've walked 1,000 steps away from God, He will take every step towards you except one. You turn around and you'll bump into Him. You turn around and you take one step back into His arms. You take one step back to the bread of life. You take one step back to the one that can truly fill these restless hearts of ours. You take one step back to the only one who can turn around anything we've gotten ourselves into. Because He's Redeemer. 
He's the God who can turn anything around. And He's calling you today. If you need to come home, you, you come. You come home. Come on, we'll pray with you while we stand, while we sing. Jesus is calling, calling for you.